Good morning, church. What a privilege God has given us at this morning that we can come together around His Word. I'll be preaching to us uh, today uh, from Nahum chapter 1, from this 1 to 30. Please open uh, there with me and then I will read the passage for us. Uh, after that, I'll pray and we'll get directly into our. Text Nahum chapter number one from verse one to thirteen. Hear the word of the Lord. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Ekoshite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind, and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry, Bashan and Camel wither in the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue his faults into darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drank from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, O Nineveh, has come, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and cancels wickedness. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. Please bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Father God, what an opportunity it is in these strange times to still have an, a possibility of meeting together around your word. It is my prayer that, Lord, you will faithfully speak to your people this morning. Speak, O oh Lord. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.
South Africa has gone through one of the difficult times in the history of its democracy. I'm talking about the recent times of mass looting, stampede, many deaths, shops burned, and the list goes on. You wake up in the morning, turn on the radio, and the same stories became the order of the day for a couple of days. The stickers on social media were, please pray for South Africa. When this situation started, many people, not only those in KZN and Gauteng, were in despair, confusion, hating, and hopeless. People were looking forward to those in power to intervene, address, and calm the situation. This intervention indeed happened on Sunday and Monday when the president addressed the nation, called for peace, and explained the drastic measures that the government would take to bring back order. And although mass looting continued after the president's addresses, the government's intervention created some hope and comfort in people that something was being done and that at some point, things would go back to normal. Friends, it is human to feel hurt, be confused, and to need comfort in difficult times. In the past, one of the nations that needed comfort and assurance in the time of their despair was Judah. Judah was facing the destruction from the most atrocious people, Assyria. Judah was despairing and needed encouragement. In that time, God used the prophet Nahum to encourage the despairing people of Judah. The name Nahum means comfort. And to properly understand Nahum's message, let us look at the historical background of the book. The book of Nahum contains the message of the prophet Nahum. If we read chapter 1, verse 1, who lived over 100 years after the prophets Jonah and Micah. Nahum was the second prophet to be sent to prophesy against Assyria, whose capital was at Nineveh. Nahum followed Jonah. So, let us rewind a bit to the time of Jonah to help ourselves understand the book better. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to prophesy to them judgment due to their sin and wickedness. If we read Jonah chapter 1 verse 2. And even though Jonah ran to Tarshish, he eventually found himself preaching in Nineveh, if we read chapters 1 to chapter 3 of Jonah. But let us once again still remind ourselves who the Assyrians were. During our study in Micah with Pastor Simon, we discovered that the Assyrians were, the, were a ruthless kingdom that lived 800 years before the birth of Jesus. Assyria 
was very ruthless in how they controlled their conquered nations so that these nations would not and never rise up against them again. They displaced the members of the conquered families to different parts of their empire. Assyria conquered the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, Israel, and through this policy, these ten tribes ceased to exist. If you read chapters 2 and 3 of Nahum, this Assyrian policy included massive killings of their slaves. They thought of themselves as scary lions, so they kept on attacking and killing other people, if you read Nahum chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Their mode of killing was very brutal and traumatizing. They kept on mutilating the person day by day until the slave died. Further, Nahum chapter 3 details that. Having killed Assyria, then piled the bodies as a warning against anyone wanting to oppose him. Nahum chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 says that. Simply put, the Assyrians didn't value life in any way. Did these people deserve any chance for life? I guess we all would say, no. Yet God sent Jonah to go and preach to them. And although Jonah decided to point his GPS to Tashish instead of Assyria, he still ended up in Nineveh. Preached, all the people repented, if we read Jonah chapter 3, and God forgave Nineveh. This compassion, however, displeased Jonah so that Jonah chapter 4 ends with the prophet angry enough to die because God has reversed his judgment against Nineveh. Now, let us fast forward to Nahum's time. It is now over 100 years and a new generation that went back to the atrocities and sins of their forefathers is born in Nineveh. According to Second Chronicles chapter 33 from verse 10 to verse 13, the Assyrians took King Manasseh of Judah into exile. And this created so much fear in Judah that the Assyrians would be destroying them soon enough. Judah would cease to exist just like their brothers Israel. So to the despairing people of Judah, God sent Nahum to say, Enough is enough. It is time for God's judgment. It is time for God's justice. God will completely destroy Nineveh. If we read Nahum, Nahum chapters 2 and 3. Nahum has three chapters. Chapter 1 present the Lord's anger against Nineveh. Chapter 2 describes Nineveh's dis destruction, while chapter 3 highlights 
the sin that will lead to that destruction. And to get a good understanding of the book when you are reading or studying it, I would recommend reading it in the order of chapter 1, then chapter 3 on their sin, and end with chapter 2, which is on their destruction. In all, the book conveys a sense of both God's judgment against those who oppose him and the comfort that he affords those who trust in him, as we will see in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The book calls the reader to trust and find true comfort in the just God alone. To the reader, the book raises the question, why should Judah trust and find comfort in this just God? And our passage presents two reasons why God is the only true refuge for them. I have divided our sermon into three points. The first two points are the answers on why Judah should trust and find comfort in this just God. One, it is because God is all-powerful. She's chapters 1, verse 1 to 6. And also, two, it is because God knows his own. Chapter 1, verse 7 to 13. The third point is the application point to us. As we answer the same question, why should we trust and find comfort in this God today? Now, let us look at our story. Why should Judah trust and find comfort in God? This is 1 to 6. It is because God is all-powerful. Our passage begins by introducing the prophet Nahum in chapter 1 verse 1 and then presents his prophecy starting with the somewhat undesirable characteristics of God. In verse 2, God is described as a jealous, avenging God who is filled with wrath. The first impression any reader of the text would have is like, what? Why is he that bad? Doesn't this verse make the whole book a negative text? Let us look at these three descriptions to try and understand. First, although jealousy may sound very negative, it carries a sense of protecting a good relationship. If we read the use of the word in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, God's jealousy is concerned with both his name and his relationship with his people. So when used with God, jealousy is not as negative as when it is used for us, where it points mostly to our selfish desires. Second, the word avenging, which, which literally refers to being vindictive or to revenge, may indeed point to some aspects 
of being cruel. But one thing to note is that most of the times, vengeance of God is used in the Bible. It is positive. And it has to do with the establishment of lawful justice among his people Israel when they did not keep his covenant. For example, in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 25. That the purpose of God's vengeance is to restore his own and the honor of his people. Of course, in our passage, his vengeance is on the enemies or opponents who verse 11 identifies as the Nineveh, the people from Assyria. The third negative description is that God is full of wrath. The parallel lines in verse 2 relate God's vengeance to his wrath to explain that. Just as the Lord takes vengeance on his enemies, he also maintains his wrath against his enemies. God's wrath is his anger on anything unrighteous. So verse 2 presents God who is full of anger, jealousy, and who takes revenge, but all of this is for his honor and for the good of his people, Judah. Now, having presented the seemingly negative characteristics of God in verse 2, verse 3 gives the positive trait of God. Nahum says, the Lord is slow to anger. In other words, God is patient. Let me say that this is one of Israel's ancient creeds about God. It is God who first described himself in this way when he had a conversation with Moses. If we read Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7. And even later, Jonah knew these characteristics characteristic of God that when we read John chapter 4 verse 2 he complains that actually it was this same characteristic of God that made him to run to Tashish because he knew God would save the people so on the one hand God is full of vengeance yet on another hand There is a patient God. How does that work? Doesn't his patience overpower his vengeance so that in the end we have a weak God who lets the guilty go free? In the last part of verse 3, Nahum says, No, although he is slow to anger, he is great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. In other words, God's patience is not equal to his weakness. Friends, the fact that evil people do whatever they want 
and God does not seem to respond right away, does not make him work. Actually, according to Nahum, God is all-powerful. To illustrate the greatness of God's power, Nahum contrasts God's power with the magnificent power of nature. Look with me in the last part of verse 3, going to verse 5. Nahum's illustrations are connected to the air, water, land, and mountains. All these illustrations related to Judah's surrounding, since geographically, Judah had the Negev Desert further south, the dangerous Dead Sea and Jordan River on their east, and the Judean Mountains in the central part of the nation. With the desert close by, the Judeans knew wind as a phenomenon that was unpredictable. And that caused chaos wherever it went. And using this knowledge, Nahum says that God's way is the whirlwind, is in the whirlwind and the storm. In other words, God's ways are bigger, so unexpected and devastating like the whirlwind and the storm. He is enormous that even the great clouds of the sky are only dust of his feet. Can you see that picture of God in your hearts? The name moves on to the power of God's voice in verses 4 and 5. According to him, God's voice is so powerful that when he speaks, the sea and the river dries up completely. In verse 4, the power of God's voice dries up and withers even the well-known and vast greener pastures like Bashan, Camel, Lebanon. And in verse 5, the power of God's voice shakes mountains and the earth. But it also melts the hills. But why giving this description of God? Partially, it is to show that God's patience does not mean weakness. Yet, mostly, the rhetorical question that we have in verse 6 explains that the exact reason for this description of God is something else. The questions are, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? The answer, of course, is no one can stand since even his wrath is poured out like fire. So the purpose of verses 3 to 6 is to show that if the greatest of nature, like the sea, the river, the forests, the mountains, the hills, the earth, and all in it cannot withstand him, then there is no nation, including the fierce Ninevites, who can withstand him. 
these verses paint a picture that God is magnificent and powerful beyond any power or force. That Judah can trust in him as their comfort because with his magnificent power, he would overpower, overthrow, and also direct his wrath on any other force coming at them, Judah. Yet, it is not only because of his power that Judah should take refuge in him. It is also because God knows his own. This is what takes us to our second point. Why should Judah trust and find comfort in God? It is because God knows his own. Verse 7 to 13. Having presented the powerful and avenging God, who is like the outer shell of a hurricane that is full of wrath, in verse 1 and 6, verses 7 to 13 moves on to present the eye or the inner part of a hurricane where it is relatively calm and with light winds. It's about the relational God. The relational and unexpected side of God that Nahum presents in verse 7 is that the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. But what does Nahum mean when he declares that the Lord is good? First, the word good is used in Genesis where after creating, God saw that it was pleasing all God. Second, the first instance where God's character is explained as good is in Exodus chapter 33 from verse 19 to 23. This passage follows the incident of Israel worshipping the golden calf, Moses breaking the Ten Commandments, after which Moses requested to see God. And strangely, God agreed. In Exodus 33 verse 19, God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name in your presence, showing mercy and compassion on whom I will. However, in Exodus 33 verse 20, God told Moses that, You cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. Yet still, in verses 20 to 23, God made a way that would protect Moses. So Exodus 33 presents the goodness of God to Moses in two ways. First, God listens to Moses' unusual request and allowed to speak to him, if you read verse 19. And second, God protected and provided for Moses by putting him in a cleft of a rock, covering him, and then showing him his glory, verse 
20. Moses saw God's glory and survived that moment because of God himself. So from the story of Moses, we realize that God's goodness is the total combination of his attributes, the totality of who he is. To say that God is good is to acknowledge that he is righteous, he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger, he is faithful, and he is just. In many African churches today, we say, God is good, and we say, all the time, and all the time, and we say, God is good. They have understood what it meant to call God good. And notice, even the devil understands the goodness of God. And that is the exact reason why Satan constantly challenges this character of God since the Garden of Eden. But I wonder, do we really understand the goodness of God as Nahum did? What do I mean? When things are okay with us, we say, God is good. But when things get tough, Satan comes with that inner voice saying, if God is really good, then why did this happen? If God is really good, then why is it that this child died? If God is really good, then why is my relative currently sick in the intensive care battling for life? If God is really good, then why is there suffering in this world? You see, Satan knows the goodness of God and he takes the grip of the limited knowledge of the goodness of God and its extent that we have and he trains upon that to make us see or fail to see how good God is. Satan tries in every possible way To make us see that things are out of control. And that God does not care at all. And when we are asking those questions, Satan blinds us even further to not see that the fact that we are even able to think in that way is because we have a functioning mind. Well, someone somewhere is not even capable of putting thoughts together because their mind cannot work. Friends, the moment we reach a point of realizing that God's ways are not our ways, that point will be the beginning of understanding God's goodness and that he is always at work for us, even in our rough and tough moments. 
I hope that we will be able to say, God is good. Apologies for the change in the lighting of the room. But I hope you can still be able to follow. But come back with me to verse 7 and note another important thing Nehem does. He collects God's goodness with him being a hiding place in times of trouble. Nehem says to Judah, God is your hideout. Take refuge in him. What a comforting message this could have been to the despairing people of Judah. But the message of verse 7 cannot be complete if the parallel between the goodness of God and his knowledge is not drawn. The NIV writes that he cares for those who trust in him. This actually in the last part of verse 7 is contrasted with his wrath. Where with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. The word the NIV translates, he cares literally, is he knows. God knows those who trust him. This translation is very important because it qualifies why verses 8 to 13 say that God would act against Nineveh. Simply put, God knows Judah as his own. He understands Judah's current fear due to the coming Assyrians. So he shall show his goodness by removing the Assyrian threat for them. In verses 8 and 10, Nineveh will feel the wrath of God who will pursue them into their end and darkness. Nineveh will drink their own wine of violence until they become consumed as rubble. In verse 12, Nineveh will be cut off and will pass away. By destroying Nineveh, take note, God would be caring for those that he knows, the people of Judah. He would be breaking a yoke on Judah's neck and tearing Judah's shackles away, as verse 13 reads. Let me mention that if you read history, God was indeed faithful to his promise. Since in about 609 years before Jesus was born, Nineveh was destroyed and overpowered by the Babylonians. And to agree with Nahum, history shows that Nineveh was completely wiped out so that even its ruins or remains have only been discovered recently. The message of the destruction of Nineveh would indeed be and was the message of hope for Judah that there is a higher power that would protect them against the Assyrian power. It is like the comfort that came 
last week when the president and the minister of defense said, said, don't worry, citizens of South Africa. We will be deploying 25,000 soldiers to calm the situation. And indeed, the situation was calmed in less than 48 hours. So, as they were despairing, Nahum calls on the people of Judah to trust and find their comfort in the just God because he is all-powerful and also because he knows them. They are known by him. Hence, he shall show his goodness towards them. But what does this mean for us today? Our application point is we need to find comfort in the just God. The message that Nahum gave to Judah is the same message that he is bringing to you and me today, calling us to find comfort in the just God. But we may ask, why should we trust and find comfort in this God? Nahum has demonstrated to us God's wrath and power with which he controls the world and that his goodness works out for those that he knows. It may be unsettling that a certain all-powerful God full of wrath and jealousy takes vengeance. However, it is very appropriate for God to insist on complete allegiance from those that he created. The purpose of his wrath and vengeance is to maintain righteousness, remove sin, and restore peace in the world. This is why it is safe when it is him taking vengeance and not us, because he judges injustice and without any favor. He doesn't have any favor at all. Looking at God's wrath in Nahum, others say that not so it means we have got two gods. The God of the Old Testament who is full of wrath, and the God of the New Testament who is full of grace. But friends, I want to say this thinking is a clear misunderstanding of God's righteousness. The God of Judah's time is the same God of the New Testament and of our time. He does not in any way associate with sin. The wrath that he poured on Nineveh is the same wrath that he poured on all the nations after the sin of Adam and Eve. You and me are the nations just like Nineveh, born in sin, deserving destruction, death, and excluded from God's family. However, in his goodness, the God who is slow to anger provided his suffering servant, Jesus. Jesus drank the bitter cup of full wrath for you and me. On the cross, Jesus became the stronghold and the barrier that kept you and me alive. So it is only in him that both you and me are safe and are made children 
of God. By dying for you and me, Christ becomes the only way to God through whom we are included into the covenant family of God. And your soul, he is the one with whom you are safe. In John chapter 6 verse 39 and chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. Friends, this is what it means when we say or talk about God's goodness and say that God is good. He is just. He does not tolerate sin. Yet, he sent his son whom he fully punished for our sin. But take note of another thing. On the cross, Jesus did not only shield us. Jesus did not only shield you and me. He also destroyed the principalities and the worldly powers of darkness. My brother, my sister, when you believe in God through Christ, take comfort. You are safe and secure in Jesus. According to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, Christ as the high priest even intercedes for you. And he is also with you, comforting you by the comforter who is the Holy Spirit. So take courage. Hallelujah. However, so take note here. Jesus' death on the cross only shields those that God knows. Of course, St. Barnabas Church may know you as a member of someone who attends. But does God know you? Have you believed in Jesus as your only shield? If not, are you willing to speak to him today? But maybe you have already committed yourself to Christ. Yet you are struggling to take comfort in God, particularly because of sickness in your family. And you are asking, is God really in control? Nahum says, yes, God is in control of the situation. He is with you and he will carry you and your relative. He will be with you. And perhaps your issue is that many people doing evil things seem to be flourishing. Whilst believers like you are struggling. Nahum says to you, Remember that in his goodness, God is slow to anger. Therefore, he doesn't punish evil immediately. Because if he did, none of us and none of us would have been here. However, 
he has not forgotten the sin of those people. But he is giving you, as his true follower, time to share love and truth with those who haven't yet believed in him before he comes to judge. St. Barnabas Church, are you willing to take this task and share this Christ? In conclusion, friends, evil is there in the world, but it is powerless. It can and will never triumph. Christ triumphed over it on the cross. And he will completely destroy it at his second coming. But at the moment, as we live in this world that is full of evil, Nahum calls us to find comfort in the just God who has all power to destroy sin who knows and shields us, and who also avenges in his goodness. So if you are a believer, hide in him amidst all the storms that may come your way. But if you are not a believer, the sad reality is that judgment is coming for you. Positively, however, as he is slow to anger, God is giving you time to come to Him. Are you willing to come to Him today? Let us pray. Father, we thank You because You are our hiding place. Help us to keep this reality. Come to You. Abide and remain in you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you all.